WCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. How smart is it to use Ouija boards or seances? How do they work? Why do some people use these practices with impunity while others seem to get pancaked? I like that term, pancaked. <laughs> so hello there and welcome to the 336th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those important questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Well, tonight we're dealing with a hot-button topic, or at least it should be, we believe, for all who mess with the paranormal but value their hides, Ouija boards, and seances. And bringing his own opinions to the table this evening is our good friend, Dr. Andrew Nichols. Dr. Nichols is a psychologist, parapsychologist, and an investigator of paranormal phenomena. He has been a psychology professor for many years and is adjunct faculty of parapsychology at St. Santa Fe College, Gainesville, Florida. During his 30-year career, Dr. Nichols has investigated more than 600 reported cases of ghosts, hauntings, and poltergeists and conducted studies in telepathy, precognition, and paranormal dream experiences. He has written numerous articles on paranormal subjects for popular magazines, and his papers on the paranormal have been published in a number of scientific journals. Dr. Nichols has presented lectures and workshops on paranormal topics at colleges and conferences throughout North America and Europe. He is the author of Ghost Detective, Adventures of a Parapsychologist, and his work has been featured in many books on paranormal subjects. You might have seen him on television in North America, Europe, and Japan, including Unsolved Mysteries, 48 Hours, Inside America's Courts, and is a recurring guest on NBC's The Other Side. He has investigated the alleged poltergeist disturbances for government agencies and law enforcement, including the U.S. Army, Oak Ridge Lab National Laboratory, and the Daytona Beach Police Department. For his last appearance with us, see show number 314, January 29th of this year, on the podcast page at BehindTheParanormal.com. Dr. Nichols' own website, ParapsychologyLab.com. Dr. Nichols, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here with you again this evening. It's oh. always always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, okay, take it away, Ben. So let's start this from scratch. Uh, how do seances uh, work, and what is a seance? Well, seance is just an old French term that means a sitting. It's derived from a popular pastime uh, in the spiritualist movement, particularly in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And the idea basically is that people get together uh, sit in a circle and try to communicate with the spirit world. That's essentially what it's for. There are various uh, methods for attempting this communication, including Ouija boards, table tilting, and, and uh, trans channeling, mediumship, and so on. But that's primarily what it's for, is an attempt to contact the spirit world. Hmm. Okay, so what is a Ouija board, and how does it work? Well, a Ouija board is actually an ancient device, or the concept is very ancient. It, uh, the term is, comes from two uh, words, the French word we oui, and the German word ja, that means yes. So it's really a yes-yes board, since it means yes in both languages. Uh, but the idea is uh, to create a series of numbers and letters and to use some type of a smooth surface with an easily movable object. People light, uh, lightly rest their fingers on this movable object which in modern Ouija boards is called a planchette, another French term. It just means a little table. It's a little tripod. 
in the old days, people used to use a, an upturned wine glass quite frequently and just uh, made the, the numbers and letters out of paper, and then usually you would have a piece of paper that said yes and no and goodbye on it. So the modern Ouija board sort of made it all together on one board. And the idea is that people lightly rest their fingers on this planchette or this pointer, and that uh, given time, the pointer will start to move on its own, will eventually begin to spell out words or numbers or messages to the individuals present. Okay, so we've heard that you use uh, Ouija boards in, and seances in your own investigations. And so uh, what are there, some of the results of that? Well, I don't typically use Ouija boards. I do, I have in the past. I don't, it's not a typical device that I use. I do use uh, seances, and I do use, although I tend to call them size sessions, um, and I do use automatic writing, which is a, a, a sort of a more sophisticated version of the Ouija board because I use a, a device called a writing planchette, which is very much like the pointer on a Ouija board, except that it has little wheels on the bottom on the tripod legs, Two of the legs have wheels, and then the apex of the of the little triangular pointer has a pencil or pen inserted in it. You can put it on a large pad of paper, and as with the Ouija board, people lightly rest their fingertips on this planchette, and over a period of time, it will begin to write out messages. So it's not quite as easy to use as the Ouija board, but it, the messages that you get are more sophisticated, and you can get more information more quickly. So it works on exactly the same principle as a Ouija board. And I also use pendulums and other devices that are based on the same principle. The, the, the principle upon which Ouija boards, automatic writing, pendulums, dowsing rods, and so on work is all the same principle. And this is something that's well known to psychologists. It's called motor automatism. Basically, the movement of the planchette or the pointer or the tilting of the table or the movement of the pendulum or the dowsing rods are all caused by subliminal muscular movements. In other words, the people are actually moving these devices themselves. But unless they're deliberately cheating, they're moving them subconsciously. They don't realize that they're causing the movement, and so they experience it as something that's outside their, themselves, when in fact it's really information flowing from their own subconscious mind. Occasionally you also get psychokinetic effects. In other words, the object such as the planchette or pointer may move by itself, without any uh, anyone resting their fingers on it. But the vast majority of movements in these cases uh, and the messages are spelled out directly from the subconscious minds of the individuals. And that's why I use them, because in my opinion, the vast majority of haunting and poltergeist cases are really uh, directed energy from a particular person, a focal person or agent. And so what I'm trying to do by using these methods is get to the subconscious cause of the haunting or the poltergeist, which is typically buried in the unconscious mind of this agent or focal person. And so by using these methods, the methods of classical seance, classical spiritualism, I'm often able to get information that leads me to the origin of the ghost. What I'm trying to do is find out what is causing the haunting disturbances in, the, in order to eliminate it. All right. Have you? Well, because we've heard this this before, but have you solved? Well, it depends what you mean by solved. Have you? Uh, what What is your What is your goal here in using this? Is it to get rid of the quote unquote quote ghost or to stop the poltergeist activity? What is the ultimate goal of that, that you have in mind when you use this method? When I'm using these methods, that is typically the goal. The goal is to find out 
exactly what the cause of the phenomena is for the purpose of eliminating it. So I don't use these methods on all of my cases or even necessarily on the majority of cases, only in the cases where the individuals involved want to find out and, and want to get rid of uh, the disturbances. Can you give an example of a case in which this was used? Yeah, there was a, a case involving a 16-year-old girl who had married into a family and came to live with this family, married the young man who lived there with his parents, and there, were, there was a lot of tension in the household between this young daughter-in-law and the parents, particularly the mother-in-law, and they were living in very small, uh, close quarters, and poltergeist activity erupted as a result of this. And there was even a temporary possession case in which the the young girl appeared to be possessed by a, a, a spirit of a discarnate entity, a, of a dead person. Um, and they used a Ouija board to try to identify who this dead person was. They called in a number of psychics, uh, and, and they got a number of different responses from the Ouija board and from the psychics in terms of the identity of the invading spirit. Uh, and when I came there, I used a combination of automatic writing and this seance technique that I developed which is really a combination of psychological techniques and classical seance techniques. But using this combination technique, I was able to elicit a lot of information from the subconscious minds of the young girl and of the in-laws as well. Uh, the resentments, the things that could not be verbalized or had not previously be, been verbalized in the family. And in my opinion, it was this tension, this anxiety and to verbalize this resentment that led to the haunting and poltergeist-type phenomena in the first place. But because these young girls often have, and, and other people too, but particularly teenage girls, often have a propensity for psychokinetic activity, then real paranormal phenomena took place. Real objects were, were moving, flying across the room. Even apparitions were seen by other people in the family. But in my opinion, these, these were all projections. These were basically telepathic projections and psychokinetic projections from this young girl. So I don't you, think that there uh, was any spirit involved at all. Okay, well, using, uh, these device, using these devices and this technique, I was able to eliminate the phenomena. How, um, how much follow-up did you do? In other words, how do you know you eliminated it? Well, I know, I know that two years after the phenomena, after the investigation, there had still been no recurrence. Now, ultimately, about a year after the investigation, the young girl and her husband moved out to their own apartment, so they were no longer in the stressful environment of the in-law's house. And, uh, and I think that had a lot to do with it as well. But at least during that year that they were still living together, there were no further recurrences of any paranormal activity. And I've had about 60 examples of that type where I, in the cases that I've investigated over the years, 60 cases uh, that I've been able to de-haunt basically using these techniques. Interesting. So you use this, you use this as a sort of therapy tool. Yes. All right. right. Have you encountered what you believe at any point is an independent entity or quote-unquote spirit? I, I do believe I have, but it is very difficult to tell. You know, this is a, this is a very complex subject, uh, a lot more complex than most people seem to realize. It, it's not an easy question to answer. And the reason is because subconscious material, what psychologists call autonomous complexes, these are groups of ideas and images in the subconscious or unconscious mind of, of all of us, these things tend to personify themselves. In other words, they tend to behave as if they were independent entities. 
And since ESP also percolates into consciousness from the subconscious regions of the mind, sometimes these entities are able to acquire information through ESP. In other words, they're able to give us information that turns out to be accurate that the, the conscious mind of the individual couldn't otherwise have known. But that doesn't necessarily prove that it's a true discarnate entity. I mean, in a sense, they are discarnate entities. They're able to function outside the body. They're able to move objects. They're able to be seen as apparitions. So in that sense, they are discarnate entities. The question is really, are they something completely separate from the mind of this focal person, or are they a split-off part of their subconscious mind? Kind of like paranormal per, uh, multiple personality disorder, for example. Yeah. So, so it's hard to tell whether they actually are dead people or demons or whether, in fact, they are autonomous complexes split off. I don't know any, any sure way to tell. But I've certainly come across entities that appear to be completely autonomous. They certainly identify themselves as being autonomous. But, again, that doesn't necessarily mean anything by itself. And they have access to information that the conscious mind of the agent or the focal person doesn't have. So I think they meet all the criteria for, for being described as a discarnate entity. But whether they truly are separate from the subconscious mind of these people, I don't think anyone can truly say. Okay, we're coming up on a break here. But just briefly... You, in describing the case you uh, outlined, you seem to indicate, well, you said that in the early stages of this, they had consulted various psychics and everything and come up with different identities for an entity that supposedly was involved here. How do you explain that? Well, I think part of the problem with the use of psychics, although psychics can, can often provide accurate information, but part of the problem is that all of this information, whether it's genuine ESP or whether it is just unconscious material, all of this information filters into consciousness from the subconscious mind, whether you're talking about the psychics that are brought in from the outside or whether you're talking about the agents and focal persons that are actually living in the environment. This information filters through their subconscious mind, and the subconscious mind contains within it not only ESP information or possibly genuine spirit communication, but also contains within it various fantasies, fears, and so on of the individual, and it's very difficult for the average individual. Excuse me, I've got some noisy neighbors and some uh, EVPs going over there. <laughs> it's very difficult. I'll go inside. It's very difficult for the average person to be able to distinguish between what is genuine psychically derived information and what is just information from their own subconscious. Okay. And I think this is why you get such a muddied picture in these Interesting. Cases. Okay, we have, we have to take a break here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, newskyradio.com. Our guest, Dr. Andrew Nichols, and ourselves. We will be back very soon. Stay with us. So what are you thankful for? The I'm Thankful Network explores the positive. Join host Sue Lundquist Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time. Empowering women, empowering lives. The I'm Thankful Network on New Sky Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, the Dr. Pat Show is alive with a distinctive blend of interviews with a mix of uplifting and intelligent news, educational, and practical information. Get in the know. Following Dr. Pat, join host Laura Lee for Laura Lee's Spirit Salon. Contact your dearly departed spirit guides and angels to find answers, closure, guidance, insight, revelations, and prophecy regarding matters of the heart by contacting the other side through acclaimed medium Laura Lee. You are not alone. Batter up. 
Life's a game. Win. Call and get advice from today's top coaches that are here to help you win the game of life. The Coach Me Network is live starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons. No Boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Okay, welcome back. And our guest, of course, this evening is Dr. Andrew Nichols. And we're talking about seances and Ouija boards. And uh, anybody who listens to this show on a regular basis knows that uh, Ben and I do not use those uh, particular methods. Uh, we think they are too dangerous. 
mainly because for, well, the last 42 years, uh, I'd say 65 to 70 percent of the cases I have encountered or, or about which people have come to me. Oh, have, wait. That just uh, made me think of something. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, all right. You know how you you had a you and your a friend of yours are messing around with a Ouija board. Oh yes, and, yeah, yeah. It gave you like the exact dates of. Oh, I'll mention yeah. I'll see what, uh, yeah. what Andrew thinks of that. Uh, but in any case, uh, some sixty-five to seventy percent of cases that I, I dealt with uh, through many of those years had to do with young people using Ouija boards and getting into some kind of trouble. Uh, poltergeist activity would begin. Uh, the, the, quote, the, the thing came out of, how do we get the thing back into the board? You know, this happened. You know, the thing would threaten them. There would be all sorts of negative results. And so I figured, well, the best thing is, you know, you can stand on the highway and the cars will go whizzing by. Maybe you'll get hit, maybe you won't. And so we always advise that people not actually, use Actually, yeah, I, that brings up another thing, too, which I don't, this might actually correlate with what you said. Because I, a friend of mine and his brother, like when they were like kids, like 12, like 13, they were messing around with a Ouija board in their room, and they shared a room. And they were like, "Oh well, nothing happened. This is kind of this is dumb because they were like asking questions and all that." And you're supposed to like end it by saying goodbye or thank you or something. They didn't do that. And they just like went to bed. And like the next like that night, like everything in his room started like shaking. His brother got like punched in the face, like full on punched in the face by nothing. It seemed. So if how would you explain that? You're asking me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're the guest. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Speak up. Well, I, I mean, there are several ways to explain it. I mean, it could it could be psychokinetic. In other words, he could have he could have psychokinetically punched himself in the face, or awesome. his brother or uh, companion could have could have psychokinetically done it, uh, or it could be a spirit. I don't certainly don't rule that out. And there are cases that I think do involve genuine discarnate entities. Um, I, I think that the, the Ouija board, in my opinion, and seances should be used with great caution. To the, so to that extent, I agree with you. I do not think that everyone is suitable to use these tools. Um, I use them because I've had a tremendous amount of experience and because I'm also very familiar with the processes of the human mind and with therapeutic techniques. I mean, basically, at the very least, when you're using these devices, you're tromping around in someone's subconscious mind, and this is not something to be done lightly, even if you rule out the spirit communication portion. So I do think that it should be used cautiously, um, not unlike power tools. You know, there are certainly people that shouldn't be allowed to use power tools either, but that doesn't mean that we should outlaw the use of power tools. Uh, I think the reality is that that uh, much of the uh, of the negative uh, publicity about Ouija boards and seances is really overblown. When you think about, for example, in the case of the Ouija board, it's the second most popular game produced by Parker Brothers next oh. to Monopoly. No, and uh, although it's not truly a game, of course, it was designed as a psychic development tool originally, but it's sold as a game in toy stores, and it's a very, very popular one. So undoubtedly hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, use these devices every year. And the vast majority of these people do not seem to have any negative experiences. And in fact, even, even though a good many cases that I've investigated have involved negative uh, experiences with these devices, with Ouija boards or with the use of seances and other spirit communication techniques, um, the reality is that, that most of these negative experiences involve being frightened. You know, they don't involve 
physical injury to the to the to the point where a person is hospitalized. For example, they don't involve people going insane. I mean, you certainly hear stories about people going insane, being sent to mental institutions and so forth. And I do think that those cases have happened. You know, something called mediumistic psychosis that can occur with the use of these types of spirit communication uh, tools and, and techniques. But the reality is that those cases are extremely rare. So I think your analogy earlier was a very good one. I mean, the reality is that, uh, you're, you know, the fact that you're, you're crossing a busy street, you know, doesn't mean that you shouldn't cross the street. It just means you, you really need to be cautious. So I think people need to use their common sense and, and, and uh, people who are psychologically unstable in one way or another should not be using these tools and they can lead to negative experiences but i think that the the tendency of the media to emphasize that aspect of it is is grossly exaggerated in my experience i've never known anyone that's been killed for example as a result of ouija board use i've never known anyone who's been seriously injured or who has uh, suffered any kind of permanent psychological damage as a result of ouija board use so I would say, you know, exercise caution, but, you know, I think that uh, millions of people use these things with very little or no negative results. So, Well, I, I'm, I'm afraid I have to disagree with you there. I don't know if it's because uh, it, it, more of this sort of thing has come my way. I don't know. But for one thing, I don't know if we can say with any certainty that, okay, millions of people have bought this and – Hundreds of thousands or millions, you know, have not had any result. We don't know that. How many of these things are reported? How many of these things are not reported? To whom are they reported? How are they reported? Uh, they being the possible cases in which the negative results have occurred from using this thing. I mean, I've been after Milton Bradley uh, for, for for 35 years to, to take this thing off. You know, like they're going to listen to me, you know, writing letters and all this business. Of course, it hasn't done any good. But it's just so many cases of young people getting drawn into the use of this thing, something, whether it be their subconscious, and I respect that point, if you're subconscious or, or, some, or an independent entity or both, which I think is another possibility that we have to consider, coming through, uh, building up their egos, telling them to commit crimes, and they do it. Uh, I, I've dealt with, with the police on a number of occasions. The kid has tried to kill someone, tried, tried to commit suicide, tried to kill one of their parents, and it started with a Ouija board. Um, I think it is a very reckless and dangerous thing to do or to recommend. Uh, you, ha you and I both have a lot of experience, in, in, you know, ranging into the decades. And um, I don't. I mean, if, if you feel that you can use this thing safely, that's your own business. But I wouldn't go near it. Let me give you an example of my, my – well, go, first, you go ahead and respond to that, and I'll tell you my first experience with a Ouija board. Well, again, I think that, first of all, your, your argument that, that we don't have any proof that Ouija boards don't cause physical harm in large numbers – I don't think that amounts to any evidence at all. I mean, That's supposed to be a spurious can, philosophical argument. Yeah, yeah I don't. You, can, you can never prove a negative. So, you know, I think you have to show me cases where it has caused serious I can do that. Harm. I can do that all day long and twice on Sunday. Yeah, but, you know, again, given the number of people that, I mean, given the number of them that they sell, one assumes that the people who buy them are probably using them. And it is true that a significant number of people report negative experiences. For example, uh, in 1999, John Palmer, the Ryan Research Dinner, uh, Center, did a, uh, a Ouija boards uh, use survey 
and this was a male survey, and it did have some methodological flaws. But the result was that over 90% of the respondents, and there were 373 respondents, this mostly came from an ad in Fate magazine and also on the website of the Rhine Research Center. And of these 373 respondents, over 90% reported having made contact with the spirit, where they believed that they did, and over 50% re reported having had some type of a negative experience at least once with the use of the board. And also, close to 50% also reported a sense of compulsion, a feeling of compulsion to use the board. So those are kind of alarmingly high numbers, and I, I acknowledge that. And, uh, but at the same time, only 3% of the respondents actually had sought any kind of therapy or help as a result of this, which suggests that the, the negative experiences that they had had were primarily of a minor nature. In other words, most of the people who report negative experiences with Ouija boards, to me, it boils down to being frightened. You know, something moved. Um, you know, they, they felt uh, a presence. Uh, they heard something, you know, had bad dreams and so on, uh, which can be, you know, I'm certainly not trying to minimize psychological trauma, but at the same time, you have to keep it in perspective. So, so again, I don't, I certainly don't, advocate the unrestrained use of seance devices, including the Ouija board, uh, nor do I assert that it's completely a harmless game. I certainly don't believe that it's a game at all uh, and should be used with caution and with seriousness and with common sense. Uh, but at the same time, I've not seen any real evidence of, of uh, you know, some people have asserted, for example, that these things are gateways to, to hell and you know, that they should be buried in the in the ground and sprinkled with holy water, and I think that's <laughs> ludicrous, personally, because I mean it's a piece of plastic and cardboard. You know, the the power is not in the board; the power is in the mind of the individuals or that are using the board. Yes, in my view, and so okay. that's where you know any negative experiences that's where they originate from. Even if they truly are from the spirit world, they still are being uh, manifested or being channeled through a living human agent. I can't believe how fast this show is going. This is a great conversation. Anyway, we are down to another break, and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. We'll be right back with our guest, Dr. Andrew Nichols, on our subject, Ouija Boards and Seances. Stay with us. Take CBS Radio to Sky with you wherever you go. Be sure to download the Radio.com app today from your mobile marketplace. And when you really want to know more, 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 be sure to visit NewSkyRadio.com. Get in deep with exclusive articles and Sky News. Get your weekly horoscope and the inside scoop on host events. Radio.com and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay connected. I looked to the children, 
through these questions, pointing me in a crooked line. And the less I seek my source for some definitive, closer I am to Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. And we are back with our guest, Dr. Andrew Nichols, parapsychologist par excellence, and our subject, of course, Luigi Boards and Seances. Uh, Doctor, let me tell you my first, pretty much first and last experience with a Ouija board. And, uh, you know, I respect your point of view that this could be, uh, obviously treading around in the subconscious mind here. And I want to get into that too and what the nature of that might be. But, uh, we have to go back, I guess, to 1967 or so, maybe before that, 1965, well, no, 1966 or 1967. And my good friend, uh, neighbor, kid in the neighborhood we were uh, playing with a Ouija board he'd gotten for his birthday and we were both in grammar school and uh, we asked him a number of questions and we and the thing really did move you know with our fingers on the planchette as you described and we asked that when we were going to die probably not a good idea uh, it said that he would in 1985 uh, and um, he did he died in a diving accident in Narragansett Bay in 1985, and um, it says I've got a few more years left. But I mean, how would you explain something that was, that was that just a coincidence or what? Or do, well, I suppose we don't know. You, I mean, truthfully, we don't. You know, it, it could. You can't rule out that it could have been a coincidence. But my feeling is that it was probably an example of genuine ESP. It was precognition. I mean, precognition, or foreseeing the future either through dreams or intuitions or sudden feelings. Uh, is the most commonly reported form of ESP. And so, and there is good laboratory evidence that precognition does exist, that it is in fact a genuine form of ESP. 
In other words, people can get information from probable futures. Now, it's not the future because that would eliminate the factor of free will, but the evidence strongly suggests that we do get information from a probable future, which can, in fact, be changed based on our behavior in the interim. Uh, if that weren't so, then there wouldn't be much survival value in getting precognitive visions or dreams. Sure. So it, it does seem to have uh, to give us the ability to to change the future so that the future turns out differently in our favor. So that proves that it's not the future, but rather a probable future that we're getting information from. Nevertheless, uh, it is true that people get information from probable futures that they could not have known or inferred, and that's what we mean by precognition. And since precognition, again, is the most commonly reported type of ESP, I see no reason why you could not get precognitive information through a Ouija board. So the only point I'm trying to make is it may have genuinely been a paranormal experience, but not necessarily information from a spirit. And even if it were information from a spirit, which I don't rule out, uh, that was in the form of a warning. So it wasn't necessarily a negative thing. Now, in this particular case, it didn't, it didn't help didn't uh, avert the incident, but I certainly, you haven't said anything that indicates that uh, that, that this this uh, friend of yours died as a result of receiving this information. Oh, no, that wasn't the indication. So, no. yeah, so if anything, the information, you know, could, could potentially at least have been helpful information. Well, and then when you're a kid, yeah, well, and then when you're a kid, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but when you're a kid, actually, you know, that was 20 years or so, in the, almost 20, and, and that's like forever. You don't even think about it. You know? Sure, and, and that's, yeah. that's quite understandable, but that's yeah. the way precognition works. I mean, precognition often, in fact, more often than not, people do not take advantage of the information because it's not specific enough, and as a result, the future ends up being exactly what it was predicted to be, and people don't realize that it was a precognitive experience until after, after the event has already taken place. You know, that's certainly the flaw in this type of uh, in this type of information mm. you know but my only point is that that the information that you received was consistent with extrasensory perception it's not necessarily proof of the spirit world and again even if it were an actual spirit you know that's not evidence that the spirit meant you any harm it could be that the spirit was trying to to warn this this young man this didn't work or wasn't specific enough yeah Oh, we should have uh, been more specific, and then he realized not to go swimming in Narragansett Bay in May 1983. Well, in any case, because uh, here's where we get into our pet subject, which is, of course, the multiverse, you know, on which we base our particular theories and interpretations and methods in our own cases. And, of course, yeah, there are interpretations of that that would uh, mesh with much of what you've said, uh, particularly the notion of the subconscious mind. You mentioned earlier that, that, that uh, treading through someone's subconscious mind has to be done with great care. What is the nature of, uh, to us, the nature of the subconscious mind is the, the millions of other lives we're living simultaneously in all possible futures, all possible pasts, all possible possibilities. Uh, what is your definition of the, of the subconscious mind from which this information comes? Well, pretty much I agree with yours. I, I too, uh, subscribe to the multiverse concept, uh, particularly with regard to phenomena such as precognition, because there's very very difficult to explain such types of ESP in any other way other than the idea since you know the future hasn't actually happened yet in our particular dimension the one of the best explanations is that there are multiple worlds other parallel universes in which such events have already taken place or variants of such events so I don't disagree with that although I do think that like Carl Jung I believe that we have a personal unconscious 
which consists primarily of information acquired during our present lifetime, and then we have a collective or transpersonal unconscious that enables us to connect with other people, other lifetimes, and so on. This would be the origin of things like reincarnational memories as well, and as well as spirit communication and other forms of ESP. So I think that, that there's really uh, a personal and a, a transpersonal unconscious or subconscious, and that we get information from both of those. And as I mentioned earlier, this is one of the things that tends to muddy the waters, whether you're dealing with a Ouija board or seance, uh, type uh, information or whether you're using professional or amateur psychics is it's very difficult to distinguish between information which is derived from your personal unconscious and that which may be derived from the deeper levels of the of the unconscious that is the transpersonal unconscious that information tends to get blended together and it's difficult to distinguish which is which and this, and even for professional psychics, it's very, very hard for them to distinguish what is likely to be the products of their own subconscious, you know, expectations, preconceptions, fears, and so on, uh, in personal life experience versus what is genuine psychic information. It's very mm. hard to do that. But I agree with you. I think that, that we do likely live in an omniverse of parallel realities. I think it's very likely to be true. Well, what we've encountered, what I've encountered since uh, you know, way back, and of course Ben now too, because he's grown up under my interpretation of these things, is uh, taking that idea sort of a step further, and that's that you know we are not the only denizens of this omniverse, which is a term I like, and uh, that that the, these uh, sort of sledgehammer methods of communication, as I would call it such as Ouija boards and seances, you know, knocking on the door or maybe knocking down on the wall to get information or to find out who the ghost might be or what, what have you, uh, can be an invitation to trouble. I mean, nature being what it is, this is all part of nature, in, in my experience, certainly, uh, although a part that uh, biology has not quite fathomed with any great depth yet, that there are predators, there are friends, there are enemies, uh, there are uh, good things and bad things from our human point of view, just as there would be in uh, walking through a jungle. And uh, that the negative experiences that have resulted from the cases we've dealt with that have involved Ouija boards and seances are examples of how these might be uh, doorways or dinner bells or what, what have you for predatory creatures or entities who might fill the bill of uh, the traditional spiritualist ghost or entity of uh, negative uh, negative credentials, such as you know folklore might call demons, that sort of thing. I mean, you see where I'm getting here. In other words, I think I do. That, I do. Yeah, and I, I don't we're... disagree with you. I don't yeah, disagree yeah. with you. I think I think you're absolutely right. But on the other other hand, to expand on your analogy of walking through the jungle, I agree with you that there are predators out there. But there are also many wonders and new discoveries to be found in the jungle. Oh, and if true. you're going to if you're going to be explorer in the jungle, you can't do it from the comfort of your living room. You know, you, right. you have you have to go out there and expose yourself to some degree to these risks. Uh, however, it should not be done lightly. I mean, this is not a path for idiots to tread. You know, no. I, think, I think I've already <laughs> well emphasized that that yeah. there are people who should not. Uh, I, I, there are people, for example, I, I do uh, psychic development type classes myself, and I think that it's a very valuable tool. I think that people should develop their 
psychic or extrasensory abilities to the best of their ability because I believe that it's a natural ability that we all have and that uh, some people have a higher aptitude than others, but that everybody has the ability to develop it to one uh, degree or another, and I think that can be very beneficial to us. But, again, it's not, uh, it's not a game. It's not, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, nor is it for the, uh, for the uh, idiot. Uh, and there are people that I, that I reject from my classes mm-hmm. because I find them to be too psychologically unstable. You know, one of my professors in graduate school when I was studying clinical psychology told me that the major difference between the different types of psychological disorder is that some people's screws are too loose and need to be tightened, <laughs> and some people's screws are too tight and need to be loosened. Yes. And that's essentially the essence of psychotherapy is that you're either, you know, people who have psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, their screws are a little too loose and they need to be tightened. People who have disorders like obsessive compulsive disorder or depression, their screws are too tight and they need to be loosened. And I think that's a very good analogy. So the bottom line is that we need people whose screws are, you know, a little bit snug but not too tight and and definitely not people whose screws are too loose in other words if you're already not very well grounded then you certainly should not be messing around with the psychic world because that's not likely to make you any more grounded you're better off focusing on practical mundane matters to try to get yourself more grounded but on the other hand if you're the type of person that's very narrowly focused on the material world then it can be beneficial to loosen those screws a little bit and broaden your horizons to see uh, to see other worlds. Well, believe it or not, it's time for another break. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Van Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Uh, we'll be right back with our guest, Dr. Andrew Nichols, in just a moment, so stick with us. Thursday is a power-packed day here on the sky. Join us at noon for the I'm Thankful Network. At 1 p.m., it's the Dr. Pat Show. At 4 p.m., Colette Baron-Reed takes the stage for the Colette Baron-Reed Show. The Colette Baron-Reed Show, where intuition, practical spirituality, great advice, a little woo-woo fun, and fabulosity meet. Colette Baron-Reed is an internationally renowned intuitive counselor, educator, and best-selling author who helps others recognize and connect with their own intuition, potential, and purpose. Powerful motivational speaker, charismatic broadcast personality, and acclaimed performer, storyteller, and recording artist, Colette uses her extraordinary spiritual gifts to empower her clients to live a life that is awake and authentic, and to create a reality that is spiritual, deliberate, and meaningful. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. Last night I had some soul 
Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we're back at probably the tail end, certainly, of our conversation about seances and Ouija boards and the wisdom of the use thereof. And uh, we've had a great uh, talk. Uh, I, I, we've used the jungle, I suppose, as a sort of a metaphor for the multiverse. And uh, certainly I, I would have to respond that there are many ways besides, you know, there aren't just two ways to, to, to visit the jungle. One does not hide under the bed in the safari lodge, but, you know, one can fly, one can walk, one can take a car or ride an elephant or uh, whatever. But, so I would just, uh, just uh, it's been very enlightening, but uh, I think my opinion at least remains that one should avoid this, the uh, use of seances and Ouija boards because uh, the dangers may not be worth it. And uh, it, Doctor, will give you the last word. Well, I would certainly agree they should be used with caution. You know, the paranormal is not a game, and I don't believe that Ouija boards should be marketed as a game or seance. Uh, devices or techniques be used as a game. I think that these are serious tools of psychic exploration and paranormal exploration, and uh, there are risks involved. But having said that, I think that sometimes the risks are worth it if used with a little bit of common sense and wisdom. 
Okay. Well, I think we're going to get, uh, in another show, get a little deeper into the nature of what's actually happening here, the nature of the subconscious, and Some and uh, a little bit, because the, the Ouija board thing and the, and the sands thing is a little bit different. So, I'm sorry, Ben, go ahead. Oh, no, we talk a little bit. I, I think we should have a show about psychokinesis, because we, 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 we've never talked about that on, on the show. Before. No, not as such. I guess yeah. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Well, Andrew, you're the guy. We'll have to sketch you for the next, <laughs> when you come up here it. to take your Lovecraft tour, we'll There you that. go. Sure. Uh, so tell us about your books, uh, your websites. What's going on? Well, the uh, my my book is called uh, is called Ghost Detective: Adventures of a Parapsychologist. Uh, it's available through Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and so forth, and can also uh, be ordered from Cosmic Pantheon Press uh, website. Um, my website is the American Institute of Parapsychology, which is www.parapsychologylab.com. I'm also a contributing author to a recently released book called Ghost Spirits and Hauntings, uh, along with Lloyd Auerbach and Joshua Warren, Ray Buckland, and other authors. Very interesting, uh, interesting multifaceted group. presentation. So I uh, yeah. have to recommend that one as well. Very good. And where are you speaking? And I know you, you speak quite frequently. Uh, what's, what's coming up for you? Uh, currently, I am giving a monthly lecture at Potter's Wax Museum, which is the, the nation's oldest wax museum in St. Augustine, Florida. I do that the first Saturday of every month. Uh, I also uh, teach classes here in Gainesville, Florida, both at Santa Fe College and also in my office. Uh, uh, I do workshops uh, monthly in my office as well. So if anybody's interested, please feel free in contacting me through the American Institute of Parapsychology website. Okay, very good. And I, um, we're going to have to. Well, I'm, uh, why don't you stay on the line while we talk about this? Because I, I wanted to mention um, there, there's the alleged UFO crash in Connecticut, which we have to cover. Uh, yes. Personally, I think it was a meteorite, right? but we're going to do that tomorrow night. We're going to have uh, somebody from the area calling in. But we have a very quick email I wanted to to cover uh, with uh, Andrew listening here and get his his response. Uh, this is a fellow. I'm uh, so I'm doing research on the. It's just James uh, in Tempe, Arizona. Okay, Okay. Good. so James Wright said, my name is James. I am doing research on the lingering effects of psychokinesis. Oh, we just mentioned that. Yeah. And uh, object movement when uh, the believed agent is not in building or not in building and not in object movements. And, and object moves. And, and, and object moves. Okay, sorry. The, all right. Uh, has Paul ever been involved in a poltergeist case uh, where this has happened. Did this happen in the Bridgeport case or any other case uh, Paul was involved with? Well, just briefly, uh, yeah, all the time. The, the Bridgeport case itself began in earnest when the family was in, wasn't even in the house at all. They were in New York City, and they came back to find all this stuff moved around and, and sort of a big mess, and there were a number of cases that uh, I, I've seen where the, the so-called agent has not been in the house. So how about how about you, Andrew? What uh, What's your experience with that? No, I agree. There's uh, There's definitely a, a large amount of data that uh, supports the idea of residual psychokinesis. In other words, psychokinesis can be left behind as a residual charge in a location just as telepathic images can be in the case of hauntings. Uh, however, in, in, in each case, in my opinion, you still have to have a psychically sensitive human focal person who's, who acts as a catalyst to activate this uh, residual energy. So in other words, the agent is the person who actually causes the effect, and the focal person is the person around whom the effect takes place. Okay. And in, in many cases, the agent and the focal person are one and the same, but not always. The agent may be a discarnate or may be a different person 
who's actually projecting the the um, the energy, but the agent, but the focal person is the person who catalyzes the person around whom the energy um, collects. Okay. And you have to have a living person. But yeah, I definitely think that there is yeah. uh, such a thing as residual psychokinesis. Well, uh, well, let's let's use that as a teaser for our next show. We'll talk about psychokinesis. And James, I will be writing to you as you requested, and uh, maybe we can. Maybe you'd like to communicate with uh, Dr. Nichols as well. But, but Andrew, thank you. It's always a wonderful and a delightful time when, when you come with us. We don't agree on everything, but, hey, that's the spice of life. So uh, thank you again. Good luck. And we'll be talking to you again in, uh, you know, within the next few months. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Very good. Okay, everybody, we're coming on pretty much to the uh, end of the show here, I guess. So we better uh, – all right, got two minutes. Good. Okay, let's uh, – See, Ben and I are about to begin a series of presentations and informal town hall meetings uh, in areas where we suspect that unusually wide para widespread paranormal activity are taking place. Uh, that's going to be Saturday, the first one Monday. I should say Saturday, May 5th, at 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Uh, in Montpelier, Vermont, at the Kellogg-Hubbard Library. And we wanted to tell you, too, that the Rendlesham 2012 conference is back on again. Uh, that had been canceled, but it's going to be Sunday, June 17th, Woodbridge in Suffolk, England. And the website for the information is rendlshamufo.com. So check that out. All right. So many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson. And we'll see you next Sunday, April 22nd. But my dad and I will welcome back alien abduction victim Tom Reed and a panel of several other victims, including Jess Long and Geraldine Stith. Okay. That's not correctly, right? Perhaps, yeah, that, that's correct. I okay. should say more uh, contactees. They're not necessarily all abductees. Anyway. So in the meantime, tune into our Providence uh, Boston Drive Time show on www.behindtheparent.com. Uh, not the. Man, I just keep messing up right now. So on uh, WON 1240 AM and com at 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows along with show schedules again. And guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we'll leave you with a pungent thought from dear old Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, uh, do what you can with what you have where you are, unquote. So many thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. <laughs>